Welcome to Throttled Up the Podcast, often imitated, never duplicated, your weekly home for the best in motorsports coverage. Even your grandpa talking about, man, that boy too cold. We don't sit on 24s, we don't ride on spinners. I'm posted up Welcome back to another week of Throttled Up the Podcast. And Matt, you and I in studio, we're hoping uh, we're going to have a guest here coming on, the president of Racing Boys, uh, Scott Trailer. Um, but feels, feels a little bit like uh, the old days, just me and you. And yeah, you. it's 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 a little 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 throwback here. And uh, Scott is a, a Central Time guy, so we may have uh, we may have got some some things crossed up with our timing, but uh, got some messages out to him. We'll uh, we'll see if we get a hold of him here in just a second and uh, get him on here, but. So you got your arc built? You know what, Matt? I I don't yet, but it's about time to get started, man. And yeah. I, you know, you and I were just talking before we went on air, and I said, you know, are we going to get any racing in this weekend? And you know, I I don't know that we're going to. I, I it doesn't look good. I mean, I always hope we race, but it looks like it's going to be uh, kind of a rainy, gloomy weekend. And you know the the thing is, I saw. I saw Billy Moyer Jr. posted um, on his Twitter page. He said, how is it that there is nowhere within driving distance that doesn't have a 40 to 60% chance of rain Saturday? And and it's true. Like, you look over, you know, across the Midwest, we're all going to get it. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. for those guys, it's not worth taking that gamble of coming across um, in order to get started yeah so you know they travel you know all night to get somewhere just to get rained out and have to travel back for nothing so here's what i want to ask you um because we are you know scott trailer obviously there with with racing boys um he is obviously in the sprint car midget world uh they've done the chili bowl a lot and you know you and i have had good fun going back and forth here with um sprint cars versus late models and I want to have a, a, a you know, obviously, for those who don't know, we obviously play that up for the show. Oh, yeah. Um, but but a real conversation. What is it that excites you more about the late models over sprint cars? Honestly, I think it's just that's what I grew up watching. You know, that was when I went to the racetrack. That's what I was used to seeing rolling out there. I got familiar with that, kind of like you did the sprint cars, and uh, you know, I I enjoy anything racing. You know, I I would go, I would watch anything race. You know, I'd watch lawnmowers race, but uh, you know, I just a late model guy. But uh, you can't take nothing away from the sprint cars. You know, those guys are they're daredevils, man. That's uh, that's a thing. But I think the biggest difference now is the technology that's changed in the late model, where a sprint car is almost the exact same beast that it was from the get go. Isn't it? Isn't it crazy though? And, and we've talked about that. And I, I think that's the, I think that's the thing because I agree with you hundred percent. Like I said, for people who don't know, we we play this up big time on the show because I love late model racing. And, yeah. And you know I do. Yes. Um. Don't get me wrong. I mean, my my first passion is watching sprint cars. It's it's what I grew up doing. But but you're exactly right when you say it. That's the amazing thing I think. And we've talked about it before. The sprint car has relatively stayed the same outside yeah. of adjustable shocks and you know it in 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 cockpit adjustable shocks for the driver and you know really safety 
The car is the same. Exactly the same. And the yeah. late model couldn't have been different in the last yeah. 40 years. I mean. Now, the last 10 to 15 has changed dramatically. Yeah. You know. So. You, you'd think, you know, it, it's hard to believe that a car that runs around an old dirt track that's rough as can be, they focus on aerodynamics as much as they do in a late model. Yeah. And, and that's. It is. And it's amazing how much it affects a car. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's when it's in traffic and trying to work through those but i agree with you i think the biggest thing and i think people miss the boat with this a lot of times and and i know there is and it is crazy because there is a true sprint car fan base and there is a true late model fan base and for the first time and i'm going to give a lot of credit to kyle larson what he's doing we're starting to see more and more of those crossover fans Mm -hmm. but you know it, it is exciting i mean it i would love to see more late model guys get in sprint cars and go run some of these races you know that's what makes the chili bowl so special is it's not just sprint car guys that go Mm -hmm. down there to make the show well i think that's what makes like you said the chili bowl so special is everybody in like every racing aspect wants to go down there and try that out so i mean you're not gonna you don't have any idea who's gonna be in a midget when you go down there no and you're exactly right and it's um it's one of the most important you know wins for those guys and and that's everybody wants to go down there and try it out so and i agree with you 100 percent. i would watch lawnmowers race um you know it, it if it's good racing i'll watch it um but i have to say that since doing this show um it has definitely I late models have grown on me much, much more than they ever had. And I want to throw this point out there. I think it's important too. We've talked what track you grew up at is huge. It's not just what you watched. Oh yeah. Because late models at Bloomington can put on a good show, but it's a tough track to put on a good show at. So when you come watch late models at Brownstown, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. When you come watch sprints at Brownstown, they put on a great show. Most of the drivers don't like being there to run the show, but they put on a great show, but it's not like watching sprints at Bloomington Speedway. I I agree. And I I think that's as those tracks play as much into it as anything. I think if there was ever a track built for a late model, it was Brownstown. I I can't argue with that at all. You know, I I think that track was, was made for a late model. And, and, you know, the other thing is, I think, um, I think the other thing that amazes me when we talk about that is like going back to Tyler Kane last week when we had him on, you know, to hear him talk about um, that Knoxville would be his place. I think Knoxville may be the one place, I shouldn't say that, Knoxville and Eldora, I'll put those two there, that the sprint cars and the late models both put on unbelievable shows i'll give you that i I, I, yeah and i'll be honest and this is a little bit blasphemous i guess probably knoxville over eldora because eldora when they put the wings on and you know they're getting ready to run the the king's world this weekend it's great but knoxville across the board i think is is pretty special i'd almost throw the dirt track down at charlotte in on that also that's a good point that's a great point yeah, I think that you know those three tracks are kind of you can you know you can mix and match and interchange and any more that the XRX class SRX class of Tony Stewart's can run with about anything too, man. And let's let's jump on that just a little bit and you know because again we're we're waiting here hopefully going to get Scott Trailer on from uh, Racing Boys here in just a little bit, uh, but you know I think the important thing when we talk about that and I know there was so much i don't know what questions about i guess would be a good way to put it questions about tony stewart starting this srx and i and i want to say this too i'm about tired of the people that because it's been successful that now have to put it down and say oh look it's tony stewart winning a series owned by tony stewart winning a at a track owned by tony stewart don't put the guy down for being that involved in the racing industry but those are the same guys that complain about people complaining about the sport you know it's i think you know tony's opening up another venue 
people can go race and, and people can watch races. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, you know. Again, and, and I like I said, I love it because it is it's exciting. I love seeing some of these legends back. I love the idea of the local ringer that comes in. Yeah. I love that we're going to see Bill and Chase both on the track yes. here at the Nashville Fairgrounds. I mean, these are all things that. And again, you and I have talked. We are our own worst enemy in the racing world. We should be jumping up and down that Tony and Ray Evernham and CBS Sports has put this together and they're putting it on Saturday nights on primetime television. Yes. But instead, we find ways to tear it apart. But race fans are the worst at that. <laughs> I mean, across the board, you know, instead of building it up so it'll grow larger, all they want to do is tear it down and, and beat it down and complain about it all right hey looks like matt here i've got scott in our waiting room so let me let me make sure here let's get our video on this looks like we got sound so let me go ahead and let's bring scott trailer on here with us let's bring him in I'm glad you know how to do all that. <laughs> hey, Scott, can you hear us? Yeah, I can. All right. Hey, let me get my video going here. There all right. Go. All right, man. Hey, we guys. got, let I me, got it. I have Mike envy. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's got the setup. Oh yeah. Let me see here. I got to get Scott pulled up uh, on, on our feed. Where are we at here? All right, Scott. Well, we're going to jump right in here. I'm right. as I'm getting there. We go. I got Scott now. Uh, got to get him fixed a little bit here on my my cropping. But Scott, man, we want to jump right in and and you know, obviously, president of Racing Boys. Um, you've been around, you know, the broadcast and racing world for a long time now man and and where does that story start for how you got involved in all of this well it would start in 1996 um you know i i was a local racer i raced at i-70 speedway uh, back when it was a pavement track back in the day and lakeside speedway when it was a pavement track and um, i had a chance to do a show a morning show with randy miller uh, who was a big-time country western uh, station here, Q104 at the time. And I did segments with him, and, and it kind of rolled into an opportunity. Uh, I was a caller one time on a talk show with Kevin Keesman, uh at Sports Radio 810 WHB. And, and Kevin, one day after uh, I called in to harass him about not talking about motorsports, because you know the local sports guys, they never talk about motorsports, right? Never. Oh, never never it's one of my pet peeves and it's one of my goals to just grind on the local media until they cave in but that's a whole nother story anyway long story short is uh, at the end of that call kevin said scott hang on the phone i'd like to talk to you and uh, i guess it was three weeks later i was on the air at sports radio 810 whb and that was 1998 and I've been there ever since so we've been doing that show kirk elliott's been with me i think 21 years I did that show by myself for a year, and I did it a couple of years with Tom Wilson, who uh, passed away. Oh, gosh, I guess it's been about 14, 15 years ago now. Um, I started off with Tom Wilson, and then I tried to do the show by myself a little bit, and I needed somebody to bounce everything off of. Kirk Elliott was on a another radio station, and all they were talking about was NASCAR, and he kind of expressed his concern about that's all they talked about he wanted to talk about some local racing at the time and that's kind of what our show was at, at the time it was more about the local scene and that's how it all started you know we just kind of evolved into it and then in 2003 we started the website and, you know back in the early 2000s websites were all about forum boards and that's how we made our name was on the forum board we, we really it was a smoking forum board four or five hundred people on there at any given time and just got lucky and just uh, fell into place with Emmett Hahn. He come up to us one day. We were doing our radio show down there at uh, 
at the Chili Bowl on a Saturday morning, and he came up and said, you guys ever thought about doing the Chili Bowl or the shootout live? And that's <laughs> where it all started, really. It, it, it's amazing how things like that can fall into place. You know, mm-hmm. right place, right time is a huge, oh, yeah. huge opportunity. So when he comes down and says, have you ever thought about doing the Chili Bowl live? What goes into the process of even trying to figure out how in the heck you're going to pull this off? Well, if you remember right, the first, gosh, I don't know how many years it was, five, six, seven years, uh, it was audio only. And to be honest with you, we gave it away. We didn't even charge people for it. You know, that was back in the days where we were just glad to get it up on the air and share it with everybody. But um, I guess in the end, you know, um, that was pretty simple. And and we had somewhere between seven, eight, nine thousand listeners when it was free. I wish we I wish we could have said we had that when it was paid for. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, as you know the business well. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, long story short is is that um, you know uh, another outfit came in and did the shootout. Emmett wasn't real happy with that outfit and came to me and said, "Hey, listen, uh, would you guys be interested in doing the shootout?" And then it evolved into the chili bowl. So uh, we were very blessed to do that. And I, this was our 16th year doing that, the, the Chili Bowl. And I don't know, gosh, I guess seven, eight years we've done the shootout now. So it, just, you know, setting yourself up, just being in the right place at the right time. You always hear that, right? You know, setting yourself up the right place at the right time. And that just happened to be the case. We were down there doing a radio show. And, you know, we're on this smoking radio station in kansas city it's a 50,000 watt you know blowtorch here in the midwest just got lucky and picked us so we've been with them ever since you know and i I gotta say man and and being a huge fan of the chili bowl as almost every race fan is but you guys do a tremendous job in your coverage down there it's it's always top-notch coverage um beyond just showing the racing action really getting to experience the chili bowl at home as well well, you know, there's a lot of effort in it. And, and listen, I, I don't claim to be the smartest guy of the bunch of our group. I'm not the smartest guy. But what I was taught at an early age is to hire people that are smarter than you, right? Yep. Not the people that know what to do. Hire them and let them do their job, you know? It's just like hiring Heather. Uh, you know, Heather it, it does a great job at what she does. Now, me and Heather are a little bit alike, and there's some friction there once in a while. But I love her to death, and, and and to be honest with you, she she does an excellent job at what she does, and I couldn't be more happy with uh, what we have right now at Racing Boys and everything that's going on. But you know, it, it's like Roger Hess, uh, the, you know, he's the producer down there at the Chili Bowl, and all the great cameramen that we hire because we like to think that we have possibly the best group of cameramen out of any pay-per-view at the Chili Bowl. You know, you got Jeff Christensen, Jeff Converse, Steve Mills, I mean, uh, Michael Jackson. There's so many great videographers that work for us uh, that we just feel really blessed to have all those guys, you know. and um, You know, Craig Jensen was one of our guys, and, and we lost him a few years ago, but, man, he was one of the best as well. How, what kind of learning curve did you have when you went from just audio to the to the audio video? I mean, did you guys have to like totally regroup and try, or how how'd that evolve there? Well, let me tell you. Listen, if it wasn't for Kirk Elliott, um, I'd be nowhere. To be honest with you, Kirk Elliott is behind the scenes is as important to racing boys as anybody. Because in those early years, you know, we started out like everybody. We went out, we bought a little TriCaster uh, Pro, you know, the three <laughs> yeah. camera. And this is when nobody had it, right? I mean, we were in the, the early ages of the TriCaster, the Pro, the three camera job. We used that. And then we stepped up to the studio. Boy, we thought we were we were pooping in high cotton right there when, mm-hmm. when that happened, right? But uh, long story short is, is that, you know, uh, it, it just pushing and trying to do better it's just like this year with our with our broadcast this year you know if it wasn't for heather uh, and everything that she does on putting all of it together 
we've got drones this year, speed shots, camera up top, cameraman. You know, we had to keep up with the Jones, to be honest. And this industry is a, a tough business to be in, as you well know. Yeah, and I, and I do want to say, you know, and, and Heather is one. She's a huge resource for us in what we do. And um, I, can't, yeah. I can't say enough about her either. And uh, uh, definitely one that anytime we've got questions, she's the smarter person that we call 99% of the time. Well, listen, we don't want her head to get too big. Absolutely not. We don't want her to swell up too big right now. So let's, let's, <laughs> but she is really good at what she does. And uh, listen, just to be fair to Heather, I'm not the easiest guy to work for. Right? <laughs> I, I, I expect a lot and I like it my way. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, I, I've got to check myself once in a while. But, but she's, listen, she's put up with me so far. So, so far, so good. I want to I want to roll back here just a little bit, Scott. You talked about you as a in your racing career, and and how long did you race? Oh gosh, I'm really going to date myself. <laughs> this, this is really bad. So I started racing in 1977 at Riverside Stadium. It's a track that was just outside of downtown Kansas City in a little uh, suburb of Riverside, Missouri. And I started there in 77. I raced 77, 78, and 82. I kind of hit and missed there just a little bit. That was, you know, that's when street stocks started to really come around. You know, I don't know if you remember the history of street stocks, but they really started to evolve in the mid-70s and early 70s, 73, 74, 75, 76, and right in that area. And at our race track at Riverside Stadium, we had 100 street stocks on any given night. Wow. It was, it was crazy. Uh, and Riverside Stadium, just so I, I'd love to give them the shout-out, was run by a man who I, I love dearly, uh, Larry Castor. And he Riverside Stadium was the first racetrack outside of the state of Iowa to run IMCA modifieds. <laughs> so a little, little tidbit of information there. But anyway, that's where I started. And then I, I, I raced, uh, I took off, after 82, about five years, and I helped a local guy by the name of Billy Deckman, won a lot of races helping him, and he kind of taught me what it took to win. And so I came back in 87, and uh, I raced from 87 all the way up to 2010 at that point. I, I, I think I might have taken one year off somewhere there. But uh, for the most part, I, I took, uh, that's right, I did take off a year, but I went and I was a crew member for an ASA team, AJ Cooper. Uh, I started out as a, uh, a tire changer, and then I worked my way up as a spotter for him. So I ended up spotting for him uh, for some ASA races back in the early 90s, and then I got right back into it, went to Lakeside. and I raced Lakeside in I-70 all the way up until 2003, and then 2003 I I got really silly and bought an Arca team. <laughs> I started an Arca team. Now, you want to throw away some cash. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, we, uh, my first race, I qualified. This is back in the early 2000s when every cup team had a development team. Mm -hmm. you remember. And my first race, I qualified 11th out of 57 cars, was running eighth late in the race and wrecked. Clint Boyer came down to me. I don't know if you know the story about Clint Boyer. He came down to me after the race. Man, that car's really fast. The, the the part I forgot to tell you is I spun out on the fourth lap. I restarted 40th and worked my way back up to eight. Anyway, long wow. story short, Clint come down after the race. He says, man, that car's really fast. When's your next race? I said, I got to fix the car. I'm done for the year. He goes, what if I come up with some Sonic? No, you come up with a little bit of money, and let's try to make Nashville. I said, let's do it. So we, we round up a few sponsors, Praxair Distribution, Sonic Drive-Ins of Kansas City, and we put that money together uh, with a, another a sponsor of ours, Criminal Painting. He spent some good money on us as well. And we went down to Nashville, Clint qualified seventh, led 47 laps, lost the lead with nine laps to go. We run second. This is only our second race as a team. <laughs> run second to Mario Gosling. Well, the hook hook was set then, right? 
The first race I did pretty good. Second race we almost win. We go down to Charlotte and we run in the top five behind Kyle Bush all night long. I had an MB2 Pontiac. I bought it. It was a Kenny Schrader's M&M car. Mm-hmm. And long story short is, um, after those three successful runs, I thought, man, I can do this. I could be a team owner. And I was friends. I, I got to get this small piece in. I was really good friends with Todd Braun, Jason Leffler's car owner, mm-hmm. Shane Mills' car owner back in the day. And one day... Todd and I were out. He was in Kansas City. We went out to eat dinner, and we went out and had a few drinks afterwards. And he says, Scott, come over here. I want to give you some advice. I thought, oh, this is it, man. He's going to give me the secret recipe to being (laughs) successful in this level, right? He puts his arm up around me. He looks me straight in the eye, and he goes, get out now. (laughs) That's what he said. Get out now. True story. (laughs) It was shortly after that I got out, after spending my life savings on, on race cars. So I took all those ARCA cars, I sold them, and I bought TV equipment. <laughs> and, and here you are now. Here I am. <laughs> so looking ahead, obviously, like you said, you know, you guys continue to push the limits, you know, in the broadcasting world with the drones, keeping up with the Joneses, as you said, um, which we all know and feel. Where do you see this this broadcasting world going? You know, because it's it's saturated right now. Like you said, it's a tough business right now. Where do you really see it going in the future? Well, I think in the end, and, and I, this is no disrespect to any other broadcasting companies, but I think in the end, you know, it's going to be harder for the small companies like myself, Racing Boys, to compete because – you know, if what we're seeing out in our industry is a lot of people throwing money at broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't – now, we do revenue sharing with racetracks at times when we do some of these broadcasts, right? But we don't go in and we pay a, a down – an amount in advance to broadcast a race. And I think that's where the little companies like Racing Boys is going to get hurt in the future because – there's other companies that just have the budget to be able to do it. You know, they're able to run in and just throw down 10,000, 15,000, 30,000, whatever it takes, you know, to get in an event. You know, it depends on the magnitude of the event. I mean, how much somebody's going to pay. But, you know, it, heck, sometimes you get a local promoter. We, we've talked to local promoters before and have said, hey, we'd like to come out there and do it. Well, all right, if you give me $2,000. <laughs> well, you know, you can't justify doing a local show and paying $2,000 to do it. You'll, You'd be broken, you know, no time. So I think that's the biggest challenge uh, is just being able to keep up the Joneses. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that we're not up for the task, but, um, you know, that there's a lot of work involved in trying to do that. You know, and I think something you just said there is so true, and I, I think it's something that I didn't realize before getting into this industry, but the margins are so thin you know, when you're talking about, because we do the same thing with Dirt to Media, we offer revenue sharing to the tracks. And people, I think, realize, you know, we always joke that people think it's easy money. We're, we're just making money hand over fist. And when you get to the end of the day and you really break down when you've once you've paid out your employees and you've paid the track and you've covered everything, the margins for actually making anything are, are really tough. you got to work it really hard to be able to make something. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it, 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 listen, you could lose your ass real quick. <laughs> one event, right? I mean, it, it, it's the truth. It, it, we've, we've done it. Everybody's done it. Everybody's went in and went, oh, that wasn't so good. Right? You know, we huh. get all these people that, you know, that you, you think, oh, that, this, this event makes sense. Mm-hmm. Then after you do the event, you go, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get you can get excited about event beforehand a lot faster than afterwards. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You know, but it, it, it's uh, I think that our industry is as good as it's ever been, though. Right now, I mean, you look at the quality of people like Flow and Dirt Vision, and and, and what they bring to the table. I mean, listen, let's face it. Dirt Vision sets the standards for what we do in our business as far as I'm concerned. This is nothing against Flo, and they're good partners of ours. But let's face it, <laughs> uh, Brian Dunlap it, it is as smart as they come in this industry, right? I, I think 
when I need to call somebody for advice, usually the first person I call is Brian Cutler because I think he's just a genius. You know, he he can make his own equipment. He can design equipment. He, he the, the production that Dirt Vision gives us, uh, in my word world, I, I don't think there's anybody even nearly as close as him. I mean, I, now, granted, I think our Chili Bowl broadcast is there, right? Mm-hmm. But that's only one broadcast a year. So other than that, you know, and, and Flo does a great job with what they do. They've been great partners of ours. Um, you know, the smartest thing Flo ever did was get Michael Rigsby over there. I think that was a just a, a, a coup. Really, yep. To be able to get him over there, right? I'm seriously. I it mean, is. You know, he, 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 to get somebody to pull him away from dirt on dirt and to bring him into the fold over there, it couldn't have been a, it was the smartest thing they've ever done. Yeah. And, and no matter what the number is, there's always been speculation what the number was to get him there. It was a steal no matter what the number was. I mean, what Rigsby brings to the table is well worth it. Listen, Rigsby ain't going to be panhandling anytime soon. No, no, that's for sure. 100%. Right. So, Scott, this is the interesting thing to me, too. And we always talk about how the, the racing bug, once it bites you, it's in you and it's hard to get out of it. But you've been involved in this, you know, this sport since 1977, as you said earlier. What excites you today? What excites you to see, you know, on the track in the racing industry? track that's got a top and a bottom and slick in the middle <laughs> listen if you can give me something on the bottom and something up on the top and give a nice slick center to where a guy can give you a huge slide job there's nothing that gets me more excited than somebody throwing a right rear at somebody I, I, listen i never all the years that i raced never drove an open wheel car oh, i take that back i drove a 1200 mini sprint and i ran fifth and I was so tired at the end, I couldn't even get my helmet under <laughs> because they didn't have power steering, you know. I, I, and I wimped out, really, to be honest with you. But uh, it, it, I never drove a, an open wheel car. But it's so funny that that's where I get my pleasure now is watching open wheel cars more than anything. Now, I, most people that know me know that I am a closet pavement guy. <laughs> A place like Winchester, Salem, the old I-70 Speedway, you want to get me excited, take me to one of those racetracks because there's nothing better in my mind than a big old half mile with a bunch of banking in it where it proves where the guys are the bravest, you know? I mean, seriously, at I-70, the guy that was the bravest could get up on the outside of somebody and pass, right? I love that, you know, because a lot of guys just fall in and follow on some of those big tracks like that. So anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just a big kind of Bristol, Salem, Winchester. Unfortunately, I-70 no longer like that. They tore, you know, they tore the racetrack up and they put that new track in. It's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous facility. Yeah, I got, I I do have to agree with you and, and, I grew up watching open wheel cars. It's kind of how we we opened the show here. Matt, my partner here, has has always been a late model guy. But but in the back, growing up here in Southern Indiana, Salem Speedway has always been one of the most special places that you could go watch racing. And and I agree with you 100 percent when you talk about that. The guts that guys have to go around that place the way they do is unbelievable. Getting a chance to watch them. Well, no doubt. You know. Um... Did you ever go to the I-70 Speedway, Matt? Did you no, I, I never made it over there. Yeah. Well, it was 28-degree uh, banking. It, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's a tad bigger than Salem and Winchester. Do you know the size? Because I-70 was .566. You know I, I don't know the exact size. I don't size. know the exact size. I, I don't know exactly. And they don't have a dog leg down the back straightaway like I-70 has. No, no, they don't. No. Well, I suggest you go back and you look at a, a video that we put together of I-70 Speedway. It was in the 90s, and a, a guy filmed a lot of races there. And he gave me the video, and I went through there, and I took all the wrecks out. And it's a decade of carnage. 
And just go look at that I-70 video, and I promise you, after you watch it, you'll think that no less than seven, eight, nine people died. No, nobody ever died. Huh. That it's that's it's a miracle, really, to be honest with you. And Scott, when we turn to some of these drivers, you know, obviously a lot of excitement right now around racing. Um, I think that it, it's on the upswing, especially yeah. you know the local stuff, but. Who are some of these drivers that you're getting the chance to see that really are exciting you about the future? Man, that's a, that's a pretty good question right there. You know, Chase Randall is a guy that I think is uh, Ryan Timms. Got to keep an eye on that kid. I think he's going to be really special. You know, um, those are some of the guys that uh, that I'm watching with the with the national tour right now. You know, there's so many up-and-coming micro-drivers um, that are coming up from places like Port City, um, Sweet Springs, Deming, up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it, that, it, that it, you know, we, we talk about these kids. I, I, I want to take up for the rich kids here, just for a second. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think the rich kids... They, they give it a lot of flack because their daddy buys their way into a ride. But let's face it, a lot of these rich kids are outstanding race car drivers. <laughs> and, and they're only blessed to have their parents that have money, right? I'll never forget one time, Tony Bruce Jr., I'll tell you, he told me the story. I won't tell you who he was talking about. But this one kid, he was a rich kid, and he showed his butt one night Tony Bruce Jr. looked at me and he goes those are the kind of kids that give rich kids a bad name and and, and it's true because there is a lot of really good wealthy kids that are really great drivers you know Ryan Tins they can buy anything they want they've got a whole crew of people they've got a midget one place they got a 360 sprint car here they can do whatever they want right and they can hire two or three crew chiefs if they want. If they got everything, the resources and everything they need. I'm not going to hate on the kid. Look how talented he is, how well he runs. I mean, so I'm just, I just kind of want to take up for some of the spoiled rich kids out there. They're not all bad kids and they're not all spoiled and just giving a good car and going fast. Some of them are really good drivers. You know, but that's a really interesting perspective that I don't think we ever really talk about. You know, in other sports, you don't get that hatred of those kids coming up. Like when you talk about Peyton Manning being Archie Manning's son, they didn't hate on him because, well, you you right. you had wealth. Or, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. coming up under Ken Griffey. There was never that hatred of where you come from. But you're exactly right. In motorsports, if you're the rich kid, it's looked at as you've had everything paved your way. That's called jealousy. Yeah, but- Exactly, Matt. You nailed it right there. That is nothing but jealousy. And, and I think some people just need to get over the whole rich kid thing. Listen, I'm just wish that I could have been a spoiled rich kid. <laughs> Ain't we, don't we all? That's that's what I was going to say. Instead of being a poor white kid. That's all I was. I was just a poor kid that didn't have anything. And I remember that just like, hey, man. You know, if I'm going to race, I'm going to have to figure out how to buy my own race car. My first race car had $200. My second <laughs> race car, I bought it race ready, 1978, for $275. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. That's the honest God truth. And, and it was painted, and it was number 160. My dear friend Jim Penny owned that race car. He was the 1965 Jalopy champion at Ascot Park. Great friend of mine passed away many years ago great racing historian and i bought this car from him he knew i didn't have any money so he basically gave it to me for 275 dollars. i took it home i painted over the zero and i was 16 for the rest of my life that's amazing that's a to think about your your whole timeline there from a 275 dollar race ready car to an arca team the bills changed a lot over oh, those yeah. years I don't even – let me tell you, I, I put two ARCA cars in one race out of Kansas Speedway. Uh, J.J. Sonneveld, one of my dear friends, my crew chief for so many years with my local program. 
and I put him in a car and I blew up in that race, my motor, I was running in the top 10, blew up. JJ was running in the top 10, he crashed. He crashed before I blew up. I came around, the yellow comes out, I come around and I look up and there's my car in a wad up in the wall. And that made me sick. So then I came back around and, and I ended up blowing up my motor running in the top 10. And then at the end of the race, I went to pay my tire bill. It was 12,000. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Tire bill. Wow. Wow. You want to spend some money? Get get an Arca car. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you that race where we ran second with Boyer. Mm-hmm. Ran second. Second. I spent $33,000 to run that race. Second place paid 7500 It only paid 12000 to win. That, 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 that's not still not changed though that's that's still the way racing is yeah, yeah. the math's never good yeah right right but you, you know if you would have bought media equipment instead of buying arca cars you'd be as big as espn right now man no i would have had to do that probably what what was espn come on 1979 yeah yeah i think so yeah i think it was 79 yeah but, you know, I like to think that we were one of the first people to do it, you know. Hey, and, and I want to give a shout-out to uh, Greg Stevens, too, the captain. You know, he's in, a, he's in a pretty tough battle right now. He is definitely one of the pioneers of our sport, for sure. Scott, I want to ask you this, too, man. You've been all over the place, you know, broadcasted at tracks all over the United States. What's, what's the track that's out there that you've not broadcast at yet that, that's that bucket list track you'd love to get the chance to? I, you know, I, I think I've been to all the great racetracks. I can't think of one racetrack that I really just am dying to go see race. I think I've been to so many of the great dirt tracks around the country. Gosh. I can't think of one. I'm okay. That, no, that's... I can't, I, I can't... You know what? I will say this. If there was a track... You know, I haven't been to Salem. There you go. So if I was going to say any place, uh, are they racing at Winchester still? I can't answer that. I'm not sure. I, I don't, I'm not sure either. One of those two tracks would be a bucket list track. Yeah, for sure. Because there's so much like I-70, they bring back fond memories. You know, I think I won 20-some races. I, 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 the super truck, I held the track record at I-70 for a little while. And, um it just I love those kind of racetracks, and it's just nothing like a high bank asphalt racetrack. <laughs> I agree 110 percent on that one. Yeah. Scott, I want to say this, man, before we let you go, you know, first of all, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the show and and another token of appreciation, man, uh, you know, you guys upgraded trailers this year and got you a new racing boys production trailer and were kind enough to sell us your previous production trailer and Ryan Bowling and myself say almost weekly that's the best purchase we've ever made. So I, I want to extend my thanks to you for offering that to us. Well, let me tell you something. I appreciate you running that thing around with racing boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, anytime there's problems, we just tell them we're racing boys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. If there's any kind of issues, uh, yeah. I don't know. Just call, contact Scott at Racing Boys. He'll be your contact. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but listen, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's uh, anytime. Uh, listen, you guys are are doing what it takes to keep this industry alive and podcasts like this. You know, I I think that's going to be my my future. Um, kind of leaked it out a little bit last week on our radio show that we do on Saturday mornings that I think a two hour daily podcast is in my future coming up in, in the near future. So that sounds pretty amazing. Pretty cool. Well, yeah, I, I can promise you this. You'll have two listeners right here. Yeah. Once you get it going. Definitely. I appreciate it guys. Hey, thanks Scott, man. We appreciate you. All right, guys. See you later. All right. All right, again, Matt, that was uh, president of Racing Boys, uh, Scott Trailer, And, you know, man, I I know we got into a little bit of the open wheel stuff there. We, we, we joke with you, but, Matt, you got to love, that's a guy that's a, a racing historian 
very I, similar to you. I was very impressed, and <laughs> and uh, I'm jealous now because he says he can't think of a track <laughs> that he hasn't been to. You know, so I guess I need to get my game together and, and get to a lot more tracks. Well, I can tell you, just this year, I know that, and I, I will miss some. I know that they had a swing. Um, they were in Michigan for a while. They hit a couple tracks in Pennsylvania. Wow. Um, they were down at uh, Bulls Gap in Tennessee. I've been there. They've been out to Washington State this year. Uh, they are literally all over. They were in South Dakota, I believe, <laughs> um, last weekend. The pictures were unbelievable. I mean, the mountains behind the racetrack, oh, yeah. and it was just—it looks yeah. like a painting. I felt good, you know, for two reasons. He's a historian like that, and I wasn't the oldest guy in the podcast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, but uh, again, you know, I, that, that made me feel good. For for people who don't know, and and I, you know, I, I I said it to Scott there, but you know, obviously, what Ryan Bowling and I have tried to do with with Dirt to Media, and, and Ryan started the company. I'm just a tag along, but uh, you know, trying to as we our tagline, I guess it would be, is you know, taking local racing worldwide, and and that's always been our focus. And and Scott is a guy that we definitely look up to. It's what he yeah, has yeah. done, um, you know, and, and he made it sound so easy that. You know, things just kind of fell in his lap, but it's not true. The dude works tirelessly. Um, but, you know, he, he made us a great deal on a production trailer that, that really changed our entire program. Um, it's 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 opened up doors for us and allowed us to do a lot of things that we've never been able to do before. I'll tell you what, if you would have followed him around for his life story, it would have been a good time. You, you could tell that. Oh, yeah. The documentary someday that they're yeah. going to shoot on Scott Trailer is going to be pretty amazing. I, I mean, you, I agree. You talk about going from Arca to the Chili Bowl to, yeah. I mean, he's been all over the place. And, and you know, so, again, just, a, you know, when you start digging into people in this industry, you will find great stories, great people. Um, and it goes back to, you know, it's just like the drivers in the pits when we talk about the, the family aspect. And, you know, we, we talked about Heather Stasa there at the beginning. And it's true. Like, anytime we face a problem, we call Heather. And, and Heather, you know, remotes in, fixes things for us, sets things up, and, and you know it, you have to have those people in this industry and they're all over the place so just really really cool getting the chance to um to talk to scott tonight i agree it was very cool i didn't have a lot to say on the media side because you know that's <laughs> that's your guys's thing but uh it's interesting listen to his story i mean that that was awesome yeah it it just it blows me away i'm sitting here thinking right now if, trying to go buy an arca team and the thought of that i'm thinking about twelve thousand five hundred dollar tire bill yeah at the end of the day yeah that makes me sick to my stomach so but so matt obviously it doesn't look like mother nature's going to play well but fingers crossed we're holding out it does uh you know looking ahead to the weekend here local weekly racing uh planned uh for thunder valley raceway park on friday night uh, you can catch all that action live with your vip subscription on dirt to media.tv uh, and then turn around on Saturday night. It is the Bobby Wilson Memorial. Um, I don't know what it is about the Bobby Wilson Memorial and, and rain. Uh, we were rained out earlier this summer. Uh, rescheduled here for this Saturday. Looking like rain again. But, um, you know, an exciting race. Oh, I, I, I'm really, really ready to see that, that race brought over to, to Brownstown and see what can be done with it. And then on Sunday, our Indiana Pro Late Model guys will be headed up to uh, Circle City for another travel show and, and turning right back around and traveling again next Friday. Yes, um, to Paragon. To Paragon. Uh, so a lot of racing coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully Mother Nature plays plays kind. Um, but, man, looking at the, the forecast, it, it doesn't look strong. No, that's going to be kind of scary, I think. So... Yeah, like I said, get that arc built, man. Yeah, yeah. We may have boat races, and yeah, you know the regatta was just a couple weekends ago. I don't know what boats are left around. We might run those at Brownstown, so might have to run something. But uh, you know, Matt, looking ahead, you know, here at the midway point, just to take a chance here, real quick, before we jump off and reflect, what has been that standout story or storyline from this season? of racing that's just been to you like man i really don't know you know there's been a lot of little stories there so i'm gonna jump out and i'm gonna say i think the storyline for me is the the early dominance of tyler neal and i think we all knew everybody else would catch up and start challenging him but you know 
there's no doubt you could see the talent he had, um, especially towards the close of last year. But to come out six out of the first eight, um, you know, at different tracks, uh, do it in different fashions, that to me is the storyline of the year. But just to, to, to bring it all back into perspective, it's only a 50-point gap between first and second yeah. with Steve Peden. So it's going to be a lot of excitement down the stretch here as well. I think it's going to get closer because I think, you know, I think Shelby and, and Raymond both have another win and then before the season's out. So, you, I mean, you definitely can't rule those two guys out. And, and I'm going to say there's probably two wins out of guys that haven't won a race yet either. That's what I was getting ready to say. There's there's a few dark horses. You know, Tyler Kane, Tyler Collins, yes. you know, Zach Burton. There are some guys back there in the pack that I could see picking up a win, you know, that could shake up the points as well. Well, if you remember near the end of the year last year, Tyler and Isley ended up in a crate. That is true. And, you know, who who might just show up one night and uh, shake the whole thing up. So. so, guys, if you get the chance, man, get out to a local racetrack. Obviously, like we said, we don't know what the weather's going to do, but get out and, and support these local tracks. It, it's um, you, you can't find better fun. We say it all the time. You can't find better fun for the money. I, I mean, you really, really can't. Um, so, hands down um excited about going forward next week you want you want to let everybody know who our guest is going to be on next week it's going to be grant simpson absolutely so we'll have yeah number 96 uh, super stock driver grandson of kenny simpson so grant will be in studio with us next wednesday night for those who maybe haven't caught up yet we are going to be live every week uh, again uh wednesday nights at 8 p.m so uh be sure to join us and check us out matt you got anything else that's it All right, guys, we'll catch you next Wednesday.